0: Hi, it's Jamie, and I'm Portia, and we are Just Two Pearls.
1: Join us for Adventures in Pearls. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a woman, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I am part, Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully know. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love but the greatest of these is love. Thus ends the reading. And I particularly wanted to share that reading, Jamie, and I even changed um, the part where Paul says, when I became a man and I put woman because, you know, we are women. But um, I think this text lives on beyond just um, Paul himself. But this text is about love, right? And a lot of times we hear this text at all kinds of, like, weddings or, like, love celebrations, and people want to use this, and that's good. But in truth, this is about the love for the church and loving each other as Christians in the body of Christ. And so one of the greatest institutions of love that I know, Jamie, is the black church. We have a lot of love. We have a lot of struggle, but we overcome because I think we have understood what it means to love one another. We don't do it perfectly as a black church in terms of the black church universal, but I do think that we have learned that we cannot make this, we cannot make it in this world without each other, and I think we're very, a very communal people. And so I just wanted to share that scripture today, as today we talk about black love. Hey. And I love that switch to woman.
0: I was like, Portia, better go ahead and adult. Yes, become a woman. <laughs> Put away yes. that childhood. Put away that girlhood, in fact. Let us become grown women. Yes. Grown so, women. So I have an adventure to share, and this is a throwback adventure, and I think it's totally a black love adventure. When Portia and I were in Divinity School, first year of Yale Divinity School, we were part of a little friend group. I think we formed a nice little collective during our first year. Portia and I and our friend Brooke we were all like nice single ladies headed into Valentine's Day right and so we all kind of talked about like what we were going to do whether or not we wanted to do anything special that year Portia and Brooke and I have been talking to each other and we've been kind of trying to figure out what we were going to do and so our friend Alan decided that he was going to take all of us to a Thai restaurant which was dope and so we all got ourselves all dressed up and it was right after a snowstorm do you remember that Portia? Um, I do. I definitely remember, like, calling and trying to get myself out of it. (laughs) I was like, oh, there's a blizzard. We're all staying home, right? And Portia was like, girl, absolutely not. We are going. Yep. So (laughs) we all got into the car, and we all went to that Thai restaurant. Y'all know Portia and I love Thai food. And Portia and I were talking about it before we started recording. Like, neither one of us remember so much of, like, what happened. I think we more remember just that we were together and it was cool. And I, I think that's part of what black love looks like um, and what love in general looks like. It looks like forming community, um, it looks like banding together, supporting each other, loving each other, hanging out with each other on the love holidays, you know. And so that was good. And so that's, I kind of wanted to tell that, throw that story when Portia and I were young, single. 22 year old girls you know but now we've become women you know so we do things a little bit differently but anyway Portia I just wanted to share that story and it's so funny because sometimes you know I think about you and we have all sorts of throwback stories and I don't think we've shared them on the show so I think I'm going to start sharing some more throwback adventures because I have so many interesting stories with you from Divinity School but that was my Valentine's Day story so I'll save the others for another day but Portia was my Valentine that year and I really appreciated it so thank you very much Miss Portia. <laughs> Yay I love that
1: And, you know, and here we are. Wow, that was six years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, like when you think about it, it's like, okay, like six, oh, maybe five, like five years ago. Right. Um, Because it was in 2013. And so, wow, that time is just, is really moving. But it was a great time. And so I'm really glad you shared that, Jamie. And I think that's a good segue into what we're talking about on the show today. And we're going to talk about black love and all of its different forms and how it tends to sustain itself throughout history and how it sustained itself in a modern day age as well. And Black love isn't necessarily marriage per se. Black love can come in the forms of friendship. Black love comes in the form of people in partnership. It comes in the form of community, and even as the the Church Universal, uh, as we're getting ready to move into the Lenten season, you know, because Valentine's Day falls on Ash Wednesday, so you know, work day for the people of the Church, but it's still a day of love and appreciation for the greatest sacrifice of all that comes through the love of Jesus Christ, and so um, I love all of that. And so you
0: better go ahead and preach, Preacher. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. God yeah, gosh, Ash Wednesday, Lenten season. That was good. Yeah.
1: I, girl, I'll be trying to put these things together. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's
0: for the people. It's for the people. <laughs> you might go have preach. All right. All yes. right. So we got some black love stories to tell. So we're going to tell three black love stories each, which I think is very exciting. Um, before we get into it, uh, I kind of want to talk about this concept. I want to kind of parse out you know, so you're the preacher right now, I'm the academic right now. So, you know,
1: we both need to play our roles.
0: I kind of want to parse out this concept of black love because I think it's kind of a complicated concept. So, when um, Portia and I were putting together this episode, you know, we were talking, um, we really wanted to share stories also of people who um, have not conformed to heterosexual versions of love. But one of the things that we discussed is that um, we were kind of like wondering, we want someone, actually, we should probably talk to someone about this, we should have someone call in just the reality that so many people um, that we can think of famous people who we can think of in the LGBT community. um, Now, Rutina Wesley is getting married. She's getting married to another black woman. Um, But there are so many historical stories where we were like, were they partnered with a black person? No, they were not. And so I kind of wanted to parse out this concept of black love, because I think one of the things that's radical about black love is I think the way that we have been imagined in this country, not the way that we are, but the way that we have been imagined in this country, is that we are incapable of forming bonds that are based strictly on pure unadulterated, unselfish love. I think that we've been set up more as on people who are kind of like loose who will do anything, uh, who will sell people out like we're, we're more like that's the way that we've been constructed in the popular imagination as like dangerous and bad or just like completely unsexed and like, you know, I'm just here to serve the world. Um, or kind of like the perception, the dominant perceptions of blackness. And so I think what's really radical is anytime a black person chooses love and chooses, you know, kind of whatever the risk, whatever um, the challenge, I'm going to choose love and I'm going to put myself out there for the possibilities of love. And so all the stories that we're going to share today are really about people who at least ethnically were black falling in love with each other and the challenges and rewards that came with that. But I think it's important to note um, that black love comes in many forms. We understand that we recognize that we celebrate that, but we have put together just six love stories um, that we would like to share with you all today. Portia's love stories are all, all have kind of a happy bend to them. I think my love stories have more of a bittersweet bend to them. And together, we kind of want to tell a story of black love from at least probably the 19th century
1: to the 21st century. So I'm going to let Portia go first. Awesome. And so the first couple that I'm going to talk about is one that the black community loves, loves, loves. We love this couple, y'all. This is, I'm talking about Ruby D. and Ozzy Davis. We love us some Ruby and Ozzy. We love them because they had a relationship that just lasted, a marriage uh, specifically, that lasted for several decades. We know that they were activists. They fought and they worked very hard during the civil rights movement. And Ruby Dee was very much on the ground running and just sharing the good news and just fighting for justice. And so as we continue in the struggle uh, for liberation of all people i think ruby d is someone who we can continue to highlight and continue to honor as she's now one of our ancestors and so we know that ruby and ozzy were both actors they starred alongside each other and they were phenomenal entertainers but something that people may not know necessarily about them which actually appears in their um, autobiography ozzy and ruby's in this life together they actually talk about how they had an open marriage They kind of had like a marriage contract and where they believed that sex was not going to destroy their marriage and that they would be open and that the love was most important. But they agreed that they would also, you know, have relations with whomever they wanted. And they gave each other permission to do that. And so sometimes I think we uh, plaster Uh, relationship couples or couples and marriages and say, you know, hashtag relationship goals and we want to hold people to this high standard without even realizing all of the intricate details of their marriages or their relationships. And so when I was reading about ruby Ruby d and ozzie davis because they were one of those black love stories that i just always enjoyed and when i had read that for the first time i was like wow and so when we said that we were going to do this uh show i was really excited to do ruby d and Ozzie, ozzie davis and talk about them because i don't know if a lot of people knew that they had this open relationship and so I think it's interesting to talk about that in the 21st century of, as people are talking about like monogamy and open relationships and we're starting to see more shows on television like Insecure where there is a couple on the show who engages in an open relationship and what does that mean and what are those terms? And so, truth be told, open relationships, open marriages are not for everyone. But we do see that more people are starting to talk about it. And I just wanted to share that this is not a new concept. This is not a new thought. But if it works for a couple, it works for a couple. You know, Will and Jada is another couple who has an open relationship, and they're very public about that. Um, and just the different things that they are, um, you know, willing to do and willing to try. And so um, Will and Jada is another one of my favorite couples just in general. But, um, yeah, I want to share that about Ruby D and Avi Davis, that the death of a marriage does not necessarily lie in the choice to be open. And so, yeah, I wanted to kind of just share that. Uh, Ruby and Ozzy together forever.
0: The first person who I want to talk about is Septima Poinsett Clark.
1: Um, and some of you might have heard that name
0: before. Um, she also was um, a powerful presence during the civil rights movement. She was a former public school teacher who developed a citizenship training program. Um, and part of that program was about enabling African-American people to be able to vote and to kind of know their rights and to kind of create a vision of themselves as true citizens of a nation that had systematically disenfranchised them. So she was a really powerful woman, like so many Black women throughout history, she was a powerful woman. Um, And I think she also points to the importance of education and helping us to understand our rights, being able to exercise our rights. Education is an activist space. Classrooms are activist spaces. And I think we sometimes minimize that on the importance of primary and secondary schools in creating good citizens. And I think that we need to be active as people of color, as people who are concerned about um, our communities. We need to be active on members of the education community um, wherever it is that we are living. Um, And I know that that's part of the work that the Black church tends to do in the communities in which they find themselves. I'm sure Portia is involved in some of that work in in New Jersey right now. I know she definitely was in Bridgeport. But I think especially for those of us who live in communities um, of color um, or more poor communities, it's really important for us to be engaged in the work of kind of what's happening in the education system. But that's an entire sidebar. Septima points at Clark. um, One of the interesting things that, I know about her, Portia, is that she had a little trouble in love. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. She had her first taste of romance right around the end of World War I. And um, I should also say that points that grew up in a really um, religious community. Her mother had really strong ideas of what a black woman ought to be, really strong ideas of respectability, and she wanted her daughter to marry in line with those expectations of respectability that she had. But let me tell you what happened, girl. Septima, she met herself a sailor. His name was Neary David Clark, and he was from Hickory, North Carolina. So she hmm. saw him and so she did what any respectable woman would do. She invited him to her church. And you know, girl, he showed up with four other sailors. <laughs> so she was the talk of the town. because They were like, oh, not only did she got herself a sailor, she got us a few other sailors while she was at it. Okay, you go, girl. Right? So, um, you know, but he was a sailor. So, you know, they hung out. They hit it off. But then, girl, he hit the high seas again, you know? So, you know, he was a man on the right so she thought okay so maybe this is over it was just you know a little situation a little drive-by situation maybe it's over okay so um she became a a teacher as I said and so she started dating the school's principal and the school's principal he was a minister on the weekends girl this was the quote-unquote good guy that your mother wants you to choose okay so he like really started feeling her um he decided to propose to her and she was like you know what Like, I just can't get that sailor out of my head. So I'm going to, like, stick with that. So mom wasn't really having it. But, you know, a woman's got to do what she's got to do. She had to put away her childlike ways. And she had to, you know, commit to what she wanted. And what she wanted was the sailor. So the sailor came back. He found her again. Mom and dad were not going to let this man marry her. So they decided to get married anyway. They eloped. And they ran off. And they got married. Okay. So they get married. They have a daughter. And the daughter dies literally within weeks. So that was really tragic for her. She fell into depression. But pretty soon, they got pregnant again. This time with a boy. And she named her very healthy son after her husband. Okay? But that's not the end of the story, Portia, unfortunately. Next thing she knows... She's hearing that her husband, not only is he divorced, which she didn't know, he also has taken up with another woman and is living with her. Girl. So, Septima is not having it, right? Like, she's so, like, upset. Like, she's having trouble taking care of her son, who, of course, is named for this trifling man. And then, pretty soon, where did she have to go? She had to go straight to his bedside. He was dying of kidney failure. This is what happened to Portia. So it's a very sad and tragic story and you know that's not the end of septima's story like i said she taught these black people how to be citizens you know she has this nice little boy who she can raise but girl love is tough so y'all anytime you're feeling discouraged remember septima remember that she, nevertheless she persisted she made it she's made a difference in the black community like so much of The way that our education system is right now is because of the work of Septima Clark and others like her. But y'all love ain't easy. Portia, do you have a happier story for us?
1: Well, I have a lighter modern day story for sure. (laughs) Um, And everybody knows anyone who knows me by now, um, if you've been following us for um, two and a half years, seasons or a season and a half wait how long have we been if you've been following us for some time (laughs) then you know for sure (laughs) that I Portia D. Williams loves me some Oprah Winfrey and so you know I am the Oprah enthusiast for sure yeah so of course you know I gotta talk about my girl Oprah and her boo Stedman Green. and so Jamie it all started in 1986, girl, 32 <laughs> years ago. So Stedman was divorced, you know, back in uh, 1970s and this like 74, he got divorced and he met Oprah at a charity event in Chicago uh, for a nonprofit show that he founded a non organization that he founded my bad <laughs> i said the show after that was the same year that the oprah show started it was 1986 too the year that they met was the same year that the oprah show started so i say that to say they met like right at the beginning of her career ain't that some stuff girl now think about it you're right at the beginning of, like, you're not at the beginning of your career, but you're at, like, that point where you're, like, oh, wow, like that big pivotal moment in your career. And all of a sudden, this man comes along. you got two choices. You can either, like, you know, I'm going to really be with this man because I love him or I really want to pursue this or, you know, think about your career. Well, what did Oprah do, y'all? She does both. So Oprah and Sedman, they um, move in in the 90s they get engaged in 1992 but they call it off and they have not been re-engaged since and so Stedman is a very traditional man but we know Oprah is a very untraditional woman and so Oprah uh, said in an interview if her and Stedman would have gotten married they would not be together to this day because of that those demands of wanting her to be that traditional wife to be quote-unquote western traditional wife i should say of being home having babies making the food cleaning the house right and she was like i'm a career woman this is what i want this is what i desire and so she chose to pursue her career and then if he wanted to be a part of that vision for her life then he was more than welcome to stay, but it had to be on the terms that she wanted to be on and that 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 it would be that she would not marry him and so they are in committed partnerships. and so this is a black love story that i absolutely love because it gives us another form another model of what black love can be and so we saw with Ru- ruby and ozzy um open marriage that has lasted for decades and um you know that we we love to tell the story but then we also see the non-traditional version of oprah and stedman where they are very much in love, they're very supportive of one another. We even see uh, Steadman kind of step back and even just allow Oprah to have her spotlight and not be all up in the you know nook and crannies and you know of her of her of her spotlight. You know, he's just very supportive. He has his own thing going on, so you can't say he's in it for the money because he loves her at the end of the day. Um, and he was with her even before she had all this money, before she was ever a billionaire. He he was there, right? And so. He was a famous, you know, college basketball star. And so it's not like Stedman didn't have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of celebrity to him a little bit, you know. All in all, we see that Oprah and Stedman not being traditional, but yet still sustaining themselves many years later. Something very recent. We saw Stedman supporting Oprah at the the Golden Globes. When she got the cecil b DeMille award and he was supportive and she was right there and she, she always acknowledges him as her partner as her love as her friend and that bond that relationship is very genuine and though we may not always understand it though we may not always understand the details or know the details we can trust and believe that they do love each other and that i think they also keep their relationship quite private and we just know they're together we don't know all the intimate details and that's okay And so, I will say, I don't think we should be afraid of opening ourselves up to the opportunities and different forms of relationships um, that are untraditional and modern in the 21st century and uh, latter 20th century. I think we should give it a shot if that's what is authentic to us. And, um, you know, and someone may say, well, you're a preacher. You know, how could you say something like that? Well, like I said, uh, you know, I have said this before that marriage that biblical marriage isn't specifically a love story and so that it's not necessarily about marriage uh, per se it's not about love it's more so about property and endowment and investment from a father passing it on to a young man Um, the wife is more of a dowry and so um, when we look at it that way our traditional Westernized thought of what marriage is becomes kind of complex when we put it up against the biblical text of what the the time of the biblical text, I should say, and the context of the biblical text and what marriage was back then. And so, um, marriage is uh, is very, very uh, complex, and it's very it morphs into different forms. And I think we should be open to being authentic and genuine to whatever relationships that we are being called to pursue oprah and studman yes and they looked real cute in the golden globe yes they did her waist was snatched okay
0: and, and i loved it that she was what was she on social media talking about this is my Honeygram or something
1: hello <laughs> hello come on Honeygram.
0: Like, okay they, they fine they're fine like we don't need to worry about oprah and studman oprah and studman are fine um and yeah i think that's a great example you know i'm um, I think society has so much painted it as, of course, every unmarried woman, what she wants is for this man to sweep her away in this, like, whirlwind relationship and for them to be married in this very particular and specific way. And it's like, that's not the desire of every woman. And honestly, I think we've learned, if we've learned nothing else, it's also not the desire of every man. And so we need to choose relationships in ways that we can actually be faithful to what we are committed to do. Because one thing that I truly do believe in is that it's important to keep your promises. Whatever promises you make is important to keep them. So if you can't promise to always be this dude who's going to show up and whisk me off on a white horse, or if that's not what I want, and I can't promise to always be the chick who's into that, then why are we making that sort of promise? Let's make promises that work for us. And I think that's a great example of they were like, listen, this marriage thing ain't going to work, so let's make the kinds of promises that work for us. And I think that's a great story. So thank you for sharing Oprah and Steadman's love story. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, my next person, y'all also know the same way that Portia is an Oprah fan. Y'all know that I'm a Polly Murray fan. And I'm just a huge fan of the work that she did. I'm a huge fan of, y'all will hear it on the previous episode when we talked about black feminism. But... I'm a fan of the kind of legal mind that she had, that she understood long before there were terms like intersectionality, and long before we even called black feminism, black feminism, she understood that as a black woman, she was plagued both because of her race and because of her sex. She understood that. And she coined the term Jane Crow to kind of talk about that way that black women get caught up in a system where it's like, yes, clearly the way that they're being discriminated against is racial but it's also very sex. And so she really pointed to the reality that Jim Crow was not an ungendered system. It impacted black women in different ways than it impacted black men. So one thing that's super interesting about Polly Murray is that she always just wanted to succeed. She always wanted to be in the kinds of academic spaces that um, Portia and I have been able to find ourselves in because of people like her. She wanted to be able to go to the Harvard, to the Yale. She wanted to be recognized when she was in um, HBCU. She wanted to be recognized as the top student and get all of the rewards that came with being the top student. But she couldn't get the rewards in HBCUs because she was a black woman, and she couldn't get into the Harvards and the Yales and the UNCs of the world because she was black, right? And so she kept running into these situations where she could never find greatness in the way that she wanted to because of the way that her race and gender both conspired against her. But one of the things that I find most interesting about Pauli Murray in our current moment is that she really uh, was completely gender nonconforming. One story that I think is really interesting about Pauly Murray, and I learned this from one of uh, Glenda Gilmore, who's a professor of African American Studies at Yale. Um, I learned this from one of her books. Um, that Polly Murray was on a bus once upon a time in North Carolina and she was with a person who was clearly female and Polly Murray was dressed as male and all that was clear was that they were black and so of course they had to like get off the part of the bus that they were on right and so Polly Murray was like this is dope this is about to be a test case right (laughs) because that's what she always wanted she always wanted to be an NAACP test case um, and so anyway, so she's on. She's like, okay, I'm not getting off the bus, right? So somebody comes and arrests them. Okay, so she's writing to the NAACP from prison. Like, y'all, like, you need to hear what just happened to me and this woman that I was with. But the NAACP, like, never took the case and they never said anything about it. But what's interesting is that Paulie Murray was dressed as a dude during the situation. <laughs> and so, like, one of the things that historians have thought about that is, like, it was a really it would have been a really good test case except that this woman is like not conforming to any norms of respectability like everybody like there was a white guy on the bus who wrote about the situation because he thought it was so unjust but he didn't pick up on the fact that Polly murray was a woman he said that it was a black woman who was traveling with a black man so Polly murray often used to end up um in psychological hospital because everyone was convinced that there was something wrong with her. And she was convinced that there was something wrong with her. But what she was convinced was wrong with her is that she had literally been born into the wrong body because she always she could never get the love stories that she wanted. So, of course, she knew black women who were homosexuals. But she was like, I don't like any of them. Like, I like straight feminine women. And so the doctor should be like, OK, but like, that's not possible. You know, because she was always like, I'm not attracted, like, I'm attracted to straight women. Like, I need you guys to do some extra work because clearly I'm a man and y'all just haven't figured that out yet. And they were like, no, you are not a man. You are a woman. What is the deal? And so what I think is really interesting about Pauli Murray is that while she was never able to get the love stories that she's wanted, that she wanted, she really opens the door for us in terms of being able to see, um, I think, gender and sexuality in really new and interesting ways. Um, and she opens the door for us also just in terms of our professional lives, right? It's because of women like Paulie Murray that we're able to boldly walk into the doors that we walk into now. So those are my first two examples. I have a third example on the way. But, Portia, what's your third love story?
1: My last love story is, well, not last, but <laughs> it's definitely not the least, it's I'm not really famous couples. Um, you know, y'all probably don't know them. They're not on Wikipedia, and you really can't find them. But that's OK, because their love story began in the year of 1970 something um, <laughs> in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where there was a 15-year-old girl and a 16-year-old boy, and they were at a little club place you know, for teenagers back then. They don't do that, you know, these days. But there was this little club place for um, these these young teens. And so this guy decided he was going to have his band play a song to get her attention, and he did. And he says, well, not him, but the band leader at the time said, this song is dedicated from Pat Williams to Pat Williams. And the girl says, what? And then people are like, Pat Williams? And Pat Williams? There's two Pat Williams? So Pat Williams, the guy, his mom just happened to be there that night. And she was looking for this other Pat Williams. Like, who's this this other Pat Williams? Needless to say, 40 years later, 40 and some change later, uh, they've been married for 40 years this year. These two people are my parents. So uh, a more traditional love story in the sense that they're high school sweethearts who got married in 1978, three years after they had known each other, Um, right out of my mother graduating high school, went off to the military in Washington State, uh, where my sister was born, and then moving back to Connecticut some time later. And then in 1990, they had the best child of all. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You know, myself. But my parents, I talk about my parents, Pat and Pat Williams, that's their name, Patrick and Patricia Williams. They are, for me, an awesome model of black love in the traditional sense. They have known each other forever since they were teenagers. They were in high school together. And they journeyed together all through their their lives. They've known each other together longer than they knew each other apart you know when you think about it that way it's like wow like they've been together longer than they were ever without each other and so my parents have had ups and downs throughout life they showed me how um, to overcome any trials or any uh, issues that may that may arise in life they will tell you that marriage is not perfect that relationships are not perfect They will share how it's important to have something um, that you enjoy outside of just everything that you do together with your spouse. But they also show um, how it's important to have that time together, that bonding time, that relationship time, and to do things together, to do things not necessarily always with your kids or with your children, but to have couple time. They show me the importance of traveling together as my parents have done lots of traveling, and they still travel to this day. As um, my parents are, um, you know, well, my dad's sixty and my mom is in her in her uh, late fifties, and so uh, they are to me just that example that I love. And I appreciate them. And so I can't talk about black love without bringing up my parents. And I get a little emotional and sometimes at a loss for words when I talk about my parents. They're really, really awesome. And they're really great. And they're just as great as spouses as much as they are parents. And so I really love them. I really appreciate them. They're stinking awesome. And so in terms of, like, traditional black love stories, they're the model for me. Because actually neither one of my grandparents on either side um were actually legally married to one another so there's that and so for my parents to have gotten married so young and to have stayed married for so long um not necessarily having the traditional nuclear family um because my grandmother actually um got married to my mother's uh, stepfather we don't call him our step-grandfather we just call him grandpa you know what i mean but so i mean she had an example But um, her biological parents, they were never married. And so to have um, two people come together and just, you know, figuring it out as life comes and just, you know, knowing that no matter what life throws their ways, they were going to figure it out. Um, And I think they have a level of perseverance and resilience throughout time. And then they're still fairly young, you know. Um, I pray that, you know, they got 40 years down and I pray that they get many more years to go. And so... um, yeah there's there's a lot to be said for their love and for their relationship and so i'm very grateful to have parents that have been married for 40 years this year and together congratulations yeah and together for a few more years before that so all together like 43 years something like that 43 44 Mm -hmm. years
0: that is a very long love story and your parents are indeed lovely every time i see them they both have such big smiles on their faces and they love and support you and your sister so much. And so that's beautiful. So thank you for sharing that story. And I'm grateful to them for being married and for having Portia and Patrice. So uh, I have one more story and this one is definitely going to sound like a downer, but it's headed toward an upper Pearls. Don't worry. So I really want to talk about um, the story of enslaved people in this country. One of the ways that um Slave owners managed to keep control over enslaved people, especially as more and more of us started to be born in the Americas um, and to have, um, you know, more control over where we moved and who we knew And we started to really form families and communities. One of the ways that they would control people is by breaking up families. I think that's um, a story that I hope many of us know, Um, the ways that families were sold apart from each other Um, The way that slave owners would basically tell people who they had to marry, that you would go to uh, perhaps a new plantation. And even if you were married to somebody on the other plantation, that they would marry you off to somebody else. And one of the only forms of resistance that men and women had um, was to say, like, no, I'm not going to marry that person. Or like, no, I'm not going to have children with that person, but thank you very much. But even that, that's a difficult stance to take, of course, because you don't have any control over your own body. Um, or over your own livelihood, or even over your life. Um, And so to try those forms of resistance or to try to run away back to the family that you had before obviously was a high risk situation. And so after emancipation, obviously this caused problems um, because people were not necessarily on the plantations that they had started their lives on. Um, so maybe they had families on other plantations. Uh, maybe they had loved ones on other plantations. And they wouldn't have necessarily known how to reconnect with these people. Um, or they wouldn't have even known, you know, like let's well, say they had married somebody else, but they wanted to be with their first spouse. Um, does that person still want to be with them? How do they even find that person, right? So it's like really a conundrum. And there are scholars, I think Heather Williams has done this best. Um, in her book, Help Me to Find My People, about the way that enslaved people were literally writing ads in the newspapers or were sending letters to each other um, or sending letters to previous plantations saying, like, have you seen my family? Have you seen my children? Have you seen my former spouse? People were changing their names back to the names of the original plantation that they were on or whatever name they had when they first were originally married in hopes that the other person would also change their name and just by names they would be able to find each other again. Um, And so it was a really complicated and complex and messy experience. And I think sometimes when we think about um, the act of emancipation, we think of it as kind of a one and done thing Um, that, okay, now the enslaved people are free. so They're all, you know, able to just be happy and start normal lives. And that's not the reality of the situation. Um, Of course, A, there are some serious economic and um, work labor issues. But on top of that, we know that we love people and that we want to be connected with the people that we love. And, you know, we form love in new places based on our scenarios. But at the same time, we want to be, you know, kind of like the story that Forster just told about her parents, like they want to be together. And um, that's the story with my parents too. They want to be together. They don't want to be off with other people. Um, and, you know, you can form communities, but that's not the same thing as being back with your family, being with your people. So I think that's one of the challenges when we think about Black love, the way that there are so many intentional attempts to try to rip apart and tear apart the possibilities for Black love. But I think that the good news here, and I want to be very careful about how I say this, because I think one thing that we don't um, acknowledge enough in this country, you know, we say slavery was bad, of course. Um, But we don't acknowledge enough the kind of long-term toll that it's taken on Black communities, on Black people. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that toll, to acknowledge that the transatlantic slave trade was a genocide, that it was a holocaust, that it was evil, and that it's done irreparable harm um, to Black and now brown people all over this world. It's done irreversible harm. At the same time, I think what we've learned through being able to form community in Black churches, through being able to form Black friendships, through being able to form the kinds of marriages like on Ruby and Ozzy, and like Portia's parents and like my parents and so many other Black love stories that I think that we can think of in our own minds right now. The good news is that despite the many attempts to ruin Black love that we have survived, that we are still here, we are still thriving, and I think that's really great news. And so, I just want to say to all of our listeners, happy Valentine's Day, and to Portia also, happy Valentine's Day.
1: And happy I hope Valentine's that, Day.
0: Thank you. And I hope that um, no matter where anyone is finding themselves in this Valentine's Day, whether you are single or in a situation, or whether you don't want to be in a relationship at all, that... You're finding spaces to love yourself, to love the people around you, that you have formed a community and that you really feel like you are with your people. So, Portia, one more thing, one more thing. I know this is been a longer than usual episode, but we this episode's been kind of serious. So I don't want us to leave without being petty. I'm gonna stay on the theme of black love, you know, because I really, I really try to keep it focused. Let's talk about black Hollywood, okay? Um, because, you know, we've really, there have been some great movies that have come out starring Black men. Um, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, of course, in Get Out. Um, Michael B. Jones has been, or Michael B. Jordan, Jones, Jordan, has been in, you know, tons of movies, is a really big star, right? And I feel like for Black women, you know, we look at these young men, and we're like, you know, we start like, you know, we like want them to be with Black women. And it's really difficult for us if we think maybe they're not you know (laughs) we see this a lot on social media there's a lot of conversation especially with michael b jordan about whether or not he's with black women whether or not he likes black women but y'all you know i just feel like it's a little bit petty like this might be controversial but can we just let this man live his life he entertains us you know i know some of y'all think he's real attractive you know whatever (laughs) But, like, let him live his life. His career and whether or not you buy tickets to see movies like Black Panther should not be contingent upon the racial identity of the woman that he is or is not dating or a woman that you've conjured up in your mind. I don't even know where y'all are finding this, who he's dating all the time. I mean, like, this is crazy to me. Y'all, don't be petty. Like, let people love who they love. Let people figure it out. And you do the same. You need to go love who you love, figure it out, work it out. Like, just don't be petty. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Just Two Pearls.
1: And you can email us at adventures at just2pearls.com.
0: And remember, cultivate the pearl within you.